The subject for the evening talk is on the move. Uh, in the older uh, Buddhist texts, it's uh, reported with uh, quite some degree of frequency the value and uh, option, really, of two ways, essentially, of uh, living one's life. And one of the, is the volume on the top? Or is it just me projecting? It could be down. And there are two ways of uh, living one's life. And one classification, one group of uh, people are those who live what is called the householder's life. And the other group of people down, please. And the other group of people who are referred to as wanderers or leading a homeless way of life. And, as it is said frequently in the uh, text, that in either case, either example, for both kinds of people, there is the Dharma of life meaning here the duty of life. And this uh, duty of life is to explore in the classical language, develop and cultivate the way of the spiritual path, which in its authentic sense uh, genuinely addresses and uh, explores the all levels of one's life. Of, I think, is the microphone on at all? Or is it? No microphone, no um, projection of the voice through, through the loudspeaker. Right, right down. No. I want, I want the microphone, the the, the 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 volume from the loudspeaker off. I'm sure it's coming out of there. No, no, I don't need it. And these two areas, these two uh, expressions of uh, the spiritual life, as I said, are such that both have the very common denominator and interconnection of one's duty to explore each and every feature of one's life. This, through various patterns, conditioning, social economic forces, etc., sometimes for the householder does get uh, removed or, or lost in some way or other, and certain kind of priorities are uh, given to one's place and position in the world, and the constant pressure, in fact, to be able to find some kind of security, usually uh, emotional, uh, uh, physical, social, economic, etc. And I think in, in both ways of looking and uh, uh, living one's life, for some people, the, in the traditional way, the option of uh, the life of the wanderer was to, has been to some degree forgotten and neglected. And I don't think anyone should uh, overestimate uh, the, or underestimate the potency and pressure on people to be in a fixed location and to build up some kind of security uh, through that as the first duty of life. And I think what one sees uh, again and again with this that there's a kind of forgetfulness in a way of the original spirit of uh, a genuinely spacious and movement towards a free life. To some degree, that has become corrupted in the course of time, and one expression of that, as it were, the last uh, intimations uh, of that, I think, is the, the world of travel. And the world of travel has become, I feel, uh, to a tremendous degree, corrupted. It's become corrupted because the original spirit of travel, in fact, had for centuries upon centuries 
as a primary expression of it, a spiritual journey. People made travel in days and years gone, gone by out of spiritual elements and spiritual considerations. And certainly in the Middle Ages and before then, travel was essentially, other than seeing friends and family, was essentially pilgrimage. And there are remarkable and wonderful accounts, east uh, and west, north and south, of people on pilgrimage. We have in Britain one of the earliest uh, texts in the English language of the Canterbury Tales, which is an account of a pilgrimage. And some of us have had the blessing of uh, walking that path which pilgrims walked on for centuries upon centuries. In the corruption of spiritual journey, in the corruption of pilgrimage that has uh, taken place, the tourist world, the world of uh, profit, exploited to an enormous degree, as we see, beautiful and delightful local environments uh, worldwide, which had a uh, sense of paradise and awe and beauty uh, to them, and the market forces have controlled and dominated these, have promoted these, and have destroyed uh, lovely ancient cultures. In the name of tourism, some terrible corruption has taken place there in the movement from the home life, even if it's short and brief in the course of a year, to another way of life which entails travel and movement, spiritual quests, pilgrimages, etc. And I think in our way of life, we need a great deal of evaluation and re-evaluation about the way that we are living in the world and, and what that means. And in the course the, of uh, that, I was um, just um, reading in the staff room where they have various alternative um, ma magazines uh, loitering around on the tables uh, uh, in, in there. And among the magazines was a quotation from um, a book by John Kabat-Zinn, which is uh, a recent book called Wherever You Go, There You Are. And some people wish they weren't, of course, but nevertheless. <laughs> and in this, he makes, he makes a, a point uh, here. And conventionally, in ordinary terms, it can be a very useful and valid uh, point. And I'd just like to uh, quote from it, because I think there's some aspects to, to this which are not seen and, not, um, and need, need to be addressed in another kind of light. And um, as he points out, in terms of our way of life and our way of living, uh, it is so much easier to find fault, to blame, to believe that, that what is needed is, is a change on the outside, an escape from the forces that are holding you back, preventing you from growing, from finding happiness. You can even blame yourself for it all, and in the ultimate escape from responsibility, run away feeling that you have made a hopeless mess of things, and so on and so on. The casualties of this way of looking at things are all over the place. Look virtually anywhere, and you will find broken relationships, broken families, broken people, wanderers with no roots, lost, going from this place to that, this job to that, this relationship to that, this idea of salvation to that, in the desperate hope that the right person, the right job, the right place, the right book will make it all better. And to some degree, one w w uh, would uh, agree with the concerns that John, who's a, a good friend of uh, IMS, has sat many, many retreats uh, during the years uh, here, and is, as a number of you know, is actively involved in the uh, stress reduction programs, which are in effect, bringing uh, we pass on our practices into uh, the pains and difficult circumstances of uh, um, um, people in other spheres. And in that, there are people, and there may be some people in this hall, who, upon looking into your life, they say, well, when I look at my life, it does seem to be one of being a casualty, 
it does appear to be one of going from one relationship to another, from job to joblessness to um, another job to one town to another, one city to another, or whatever it might be. And all of that can, can put out the message to oneself, and it's a very strong message which society generates. Well, there's something unsatisfactory about that. It's escapism, it's uh, avoidance of facing you go, and after all, wherever you go, uh, there you are. <laughs> but I'm not, so, not quite so sure whether the, the truth of that can be interpreted in any generalized way, and I would look at that in, yes, that may apply in some situations to, to some people, and, and that would need to be addressed in the way that uh, John is endeavoring to do in this passage in his book. But I think there may be deeper elements and factors which are going on. And in a way, what I mean by this is that some people are simply unsuited to be rooted. They are unsuited to be in a home life. They are unsuited for family life. They are unsuited to be in a permanent job. And they are unsuited to be in any kind of fixed position in their life. Their inner life is not geared that way. And their tendency and their way of being in this world is much more in accord and in a, a state of um, affinity, in fact, with the life of the wanderer. But they're not getting the support from it because of the conservative voices, because of the home, the householder's voice, and because of the voice of the establishment. And so a person can pass through days, weeks, months, their entire life, in fact, moving from one thing to another, and the internalized inner voice is constantly saying to herself or to himself, I ought to, I should by now settle down or have a good job or make a career or be in one, one place. And I think sometimes, though it's troublesome and difficult, nevertheless, the, the voice of the wanderer in the many forms that it might take uh, needs to be heard and more importantly, in fact, needs to be given tremendous support too. And there are a number of people and a number of people in this hall who know uh, very well exactly what I'm speak speaking about and who need to feel a greater sense within themselves, of course, of trust and support in a way of life, and to have the freedom, and a great human freedom it is, to be able to wander from one thing to the other, if so, one so wishes, and to live in accordance with that kind of movement of life, and to take no notice of the, of the establishment of the householders who keep perceiving something is wrong there. One can just escape as easily and as quickly into the householder's life as one can escape from it. And some of us, and I may, may, may just for a moment speak of myself um, uh, 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 here with regard to this, and I think a little bit that for some people there may be a little bit of reflection which is going on at the, this time. The uh, press um, has been making great significance here in the uh, U US and in Britain too for that matter for uh, the nostalgia of uh, a quarter of a century ago when um, 200,000 freaks met together at Woods Woods Woodstock to... Um, um, here, the, uh, uh, the rock stars of, of the time, some of whom, of course, rather sadly, are uh, no, no longer with us. And in that, and I must say, while you've been sitting here on retreat, I also saw on the table of the, in the staff dining room um, <laughs> that um, 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 the official organ of the corporate world, the New York Times, which... Uh, had, as it's remarkably, its main story on the front page, the event at Woodstock. And I hadn't realized it was that world-shattering news, but nevertheless. So sometimes one has looked back, as some of us have done to our uh, past uh, 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 years, if not lifetimes here, 
and in that looking back in the movement of time there may have been for some of you periods of time in your life where you can recall being on the road being on on the move on the go and the earth having much more a sense of one's home in life than the, the immediate concept of home and though that one might look back on that at that of that period of, of time I don't think in any way that it's necessary in, in life to say well I've done that as though I've done that and therefore depriving oneself of the consideration and the opportunity to reconsider uh, all, all of that and that one doesn't have to have a fixed, fixed life. It doesn't have to be that way, but it would require, in many ways and circumstances, a genuine uh, commitment to sacrifice, to uh, change, to letting go, to living with moderation, to being less career-possessed, and all of that, to another way of thinking and relating and feeling about life, and I would say to all of that, that partners and, um, and having children and all of that don't deprive one of that opportunity. So I say for some it's suitable and applicable and approachable to be in a particular location, to give support and nourish a community in the many ways that can uh, take place as a genuine con contribution to transformation and spiritual depth and for others it might be a real value and listening and being attentive to a wandering or free life or when one has the opportunity to be away from one's familiar locality, what does one do with that time? One expression, of course, is here at uh, IMS. But what does one do with the time when one moves away from the familiar and the known? And all of that, I think, is part of a genuine and uh, um, deep evaluation that needs to take place with us. It goes much, of course, I'm just speaking at the moment, on outer circum circumstances and the varying forms of travel that we take. And just as a kind of side, side thought, some of you are probably very familiar with traveling, traveling um, in, um, in aeroplanes. And um, sometimes people say at centers, oh, I wish there were more toilets like that and uh, sometimes there can be uh, a queue outside those of you who have been on aeroplanes will have no will probably know that the figure for toilets I say it's a complete aside to on being on the go <laughs> but it just occurred to me that um, <laughs> maybe it's some relationship to being on the go <laughs> as our toilet sign say, says in, in, in the Thai um, monastery as you go into the uh, use the toilets there on the retreats there it says for Dharma bums only so being on the aeroplane <coughs> and for some people it's the only time of letting go in their whole life but nevertheless <laughs> so sometimes in, in, in traveling and, and being, being on aeroplanes the thought has, 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 occurred, has occurred to me on aeroplanes when you, when you go to the, uh, the toilets in the aeroplane you actually you know you, it's all enclosed in there. You have to put the light on. There's, you can't see out the window. And it's often occurred to me, who do they imagine will be looking through the window at 35? <laughs> <laughs> when travelling at 35,000 feet, I mean. If you think that being in, uh, in aeroplanes with uh, one toilet for every 33 people is, is bad enough, I remember on a retreat in um, 1986, the, the Dalai Lama um, had what he called uh, the Kala Chakra, which is uh, one of these uh, long un, um, initiation uh, ceremonies which the thousands of people have no idea what it's all about. And, <laughs> and for that matter, neither does the Dalai Lama. <laughs> And more than 200,000 people, mostly Tibetans from all over the Tibetan kingdoms, um, N N Nepal and South India, um, all went to this huge 
uh, Kala Chakra, which finished just a couple of days before the, our uh, uh, retreat. So in this tiny village, this huge number of people, and the, the Bihari uh, government, which is the central government governing um, Budgaya, very kindly um, um, built for these 200, somebody said 240,000, but it was at least 200,000 people, very kindly built um, three toilets for this. <laughs> can, can you imagine being in a queue with 70,000 people? <laughs> Not even Woodstock can do that. <laughs> so I say, when being, being on the move, <laughs> or in this case, not on it. <laughs> and the looking and the, uh, the exploring towards movement and change, uh, change in our life and the ways that that can uh, show and manifest itself, I do say that does need uh, real stopping and, and real looking and, and asking ourselves very, very much, and as uh, John in his article here very rightly points out, asking ourselves, really, are we really looking at things? Or, as he uh, says there, some people even wind up misusing teacher-led meditation retreats as a way to keep afloat in their lives rather than as an extended opportunity to look deeply into themselves. As, an op just as a way to keep afloat in one's life rather than real extended opportunity to look deep into oneself. And to look deep in oneself uh, is really t is to examine what, what it means in all kind of social environments, in social networks and our way of being in the world and not to be afraid to question to such a degree that we are prepared to um, turn up any stone anything in our life, and we're willing to actually do that. And some people have made uh, very significant steps to make that uh, happen in uh, dif different ways. And Shada is one example sitting next to me who, 10 years in uh, California, and then in 87 made a major shift in her life. And every year she and I have, since uh, 87, have been uh, co-teaching together in uh, Budgaya, and in other places, and it's just part of that movement, Jose, too, of course, with, with uh, India, uh, as well as a number of you here. And I use all these as an example of the willingness to make steps and to make shifts and to say, hey, the world's a big place. Hey, spiritual life embraces and looks at what freedom uh, is in life and the willing to, willingness to take those steps. In, uh, when speaking uh, for, um, about uh, Budgaya, which I, for which I have um, immense love, it's the place of the Buddha's enlightenment. Uh, in uh, India, I've had the incredible privilege of uh, uh, speaking and giving teachings there um, since the, the mid-1970s. I have much love of the place. And when um, Shadra and I gave the last retreat in uh, Budgaya in January, there were about uh, 125 people um, participating uh, in the uh, retreat, and more than 80 of those uh, participants in the retreat were uh, women, and all, merely, virtually nearly everybody from Western countries from all over the Western world, as, a, as well as a small number of Indian people. And I just want to say to uh, uh, the um, um, men here on the retreat and, and elsewhere, please don't be um, afraid to go to India and, um, <laughs> that, yeah, that, and uh, be worried about traveling or getting sick in India and that there are um, um, many uh, women from the West uh, in India who will give you a great deal of support and care <laughs> and, um, and show you all the, what it means to be in India so that there can be a little bit more balance on our retreats there. <laughs> so, I mean it. <laughs> so again, of course, coming back to John's title of his, his book, and uh, this is not a promotion for his book, 
slightly, and is wherever you go, uh, there you are. And in that movement that takes place, as I say, if there's a spiritual kind of focus, a concern, a, uh, uh, an interest uh, in, in that, then I think a genuinely expansive and open life, spiritual life, can truly be available to us with, of course, the risks that go with it. But then as one probes with these things and looks a little bit uh, deeper into these uh, things of living, whether whatever our uh, way of life and being in this world is, is that in that movement that takes place, of course it's a movement of time and space. It's that movement is, is there. And in, in that mo movement, we say, yes, I have an interest, whatever it is, to go from here to there. It can be in terms of uh, distance, one place to another, one country to another, one retreat to another, from city to countryside, and all that rejuvenation that can come from that. And there is a genuine and authentic feeling and experience which takes place of going from point A to point B. And when there's some focus, some concentration and rather quiet determination to make that happen and one has some clarity and purpose behind the reasons for that, then that location, whether it's IMS or whether it's uh, India or, or wherever it uh, might be, hopefully, as I say, opens the consciousness. It does something to consciousness. And then we begin to see and to appreciate that your and my exposure to particular places on the earth and particular localities and particular situations is such that if I'm willing to put my consciousness into that situation, the influence of that situation will influence my consciousness in a particular and rather inexplicable kind of way. And it's as, it's as though we are saying to ourselves with a certain humility and, and honesty, in, in fact, my willingness to put myself into certain situations somehow nourishes me in a way that I can't necessarily fathom out with my mind and my thoughts. And many, many, many people have said over the, over the last uh, 20 years to myself and to other teachers, so I come in, in, in on these uh, retreats or I go to an ashram or I go to a monastery or I go to such uh, important centers of uh, peace and exploration in this world and I sit and I meditate or whatever uh, one does and my mind, Christopher, it just wanders left, right and center. I've no idea what mindfulness is. I've no idea what it is to get in touch with the breath. I can't even find my nose in 10 days. <laughs> and etc., etc. And I can't remember one moment when I, when I felt the sensation of my foot touching the floor. And the only thing I can remember about your retreats is how good the food is. And, <laughs> and looking forward to even that, to, to it all being over. And that's my primary recollection of the uh, re retreats. Uh, uh, with you, etc., etc., and yet, in spite of not knowing what meditation is, not knowing what mindfulness is, not being able to be here and now, in, in spite of my thoughts running up and down the three fields at time at an alarming uh, speed that I can't keep pace with it, that in all of that, Nevertheless, something goes on which somewhere deep in the being, there's some response to it, some validity, some authenticity to it, and the mind just can't comprehend it. Can't get around what's going on when consciousness meets certain kind of environments. And there's a certain recognition that we have that we, no matter what is said, I can't do it all by myself. No matter how strong my intention and motivation spiritually to go from point A to point B, to go there, to get there, to whatever the <clears throat> there is, the I, the self, the me can't do it by itself. And one begins to sense the, the 
humility of that. And yet, when we feel that, if we misunderstand what that means, if we misunderstand, we move to the other extreme. And there are the, 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 the vultures in the spiritual life which encourage movement to the other extreme, which will say to you, no, you can't do it by yourself, your ego will get in the way, how can you possibly know, how can you possibly get there, reach there to that ultimate it or whatever, and then the mind says, I can't do it, so therefore he, she, they, that, whatever, will do it for me. And in that name, and in that imprisonment, in fact, there has been countless stories of surrender, countless stories of people who have recognized the humility of heart and mind to be able to do it all for oneself, by oneself, and have discarded a certain quality and kind of awareness which in trying to get to it ultimately have shifted everything over to another. And in shifting over everything to uh, another, sometimes have paid a very, very heavy price for that. And there are many stories which you will know as much as I uh, about those circumstances. And so it's a different kind of intuition, a different kind of awareness in, in life in which we don't move into the world of extremes. It's all up to me is one extreme. It's all up to him or her or that as the other. And if we're very vigilant about those, that duality, that wretched and painful dualism of the spiritual life, utterly unsatisfactory, we begin to get an authentic and genuine sense of what the ground is of the middle way which doesn't fall into those extremes. I can't go to outside of myself to realize what the truth is because that's a movement out there. I can't go inside of myself because what I see when I witness inside of myself, my moods, my feelings, my thoughts, my concentrated mind, my absence of concentrated mind, I can't go outside, I can't go inside, therefore. And in that therefore is the potential, the possibility of realizing, discovering what the ground is of the middle way which is utterly inexplicable. Teachings are of the middle way. Not going to self as the answer and solution because it, it is not there and Buddhism has failed people miserably for two and a half thousand years, again and again and again, because it has not understood these things well and liberatingly enough, because it's often put so much emphasis on the inner. There's no inner. Or on the outer. There's no outer. It's the movement of mind focusing, particularizing, labeling and describing as though it's the truth. Movement called to the inner, it's called. Movement to the outer, it's called. That movement is taken and grasped hold of as though it was the truth. Blind we become because we cannot see what the liberation what is that which is the middle way which is knows no outer nor inner? So, as I say, too often in uh, Buddhism, and of course there are many and in significant exceptions to all this, too often there's been a kind of almost otherworldliness about it, a kind of uh, introverted kind of view. And so sometimes in that introversion, in going somewhere, as it were, going inwardly, one needs to be extraordinarily wise about that way of interpreting. What does it mean, going inwardly? What's that? Do I, do I close my eyes do I, when I sit still? Is that going inwardly? What, what's, what's the picture? What's the 
idea that one is uh, cherishing in that particular time. And if one isn't clear and isn't realizing the liberation of the middle way, then this going uh, inwardly idea tends to have easily repercussions. And one of the frequent repercussions is, well, it's all me. It's all me. Anyone who thinks that way is stuck on, in an extreme position in life, and any extreme position in life haunts the human being's existence forevermore. It's all me. It's just me. It's just my projection. It's just my stuff. It's just my way. I create my own world. I create my own misery. I, I have to take responsibility for all of this. So in, in, uh, if one starts off in the spiritual life of the sense of going somewhere, in this case, going deeply, and all the language that we use there, fine and comfortable to use the language of going deeply into things, but nevertheless, what's the I happen what's happening with the I in that so-called movement? Because if one, so to speak, goes deeply there, that deep experience will come and it will pass. It will have impact and influences on I, which is it intended to have. But if it's not clear, if it isn't understood what those influences are, one will come out of it, as some people do, reinforcing a latent tendency in life to say, then, oh, it's all me. I create my own world. No I, no self could possibly do that. I has no powers to create anything. It is simply an I. That's all it is, all it was, all it ever will be. It has no power of creation. It's just an I and is as significant as drawing a line in the water. That significant. Yet, packaging and holding and going deep and etc. etc. One may have all of these experiences, and all the wonder, joy, depth of them come out of that experience, and and it would be have been better if I never had the experiences of depth in the first place, because the outcome of it can be reinforcement of I. Some people are not better off by deep spiritual experiences because the self, the I, grabs. And it's looking for anything to grab and it will grab that in an in a extraordinary, if not vindicative way. You grab it to such a strength it will use it as a banner in front of anybody and everybody. So I say it's the depth of experiences, so to speak, the exploration, so to speak, but essentially, does the eye make of it? What does the eye make of it? And a non-making eye is true to the liberation, true to the middle way, a non-making eye. So when looking, as I said in the earlier part of the talk here, at being on the move, being on the go, whatever, that manifestation of that can be expressed and is expressed at times in the opening up of one's life in a so-called outer way, as I was referring to places and locations and to keep the heart and ears open for those opportunities. And the same opening of the life, in the same kind of way, is being addressed as it is here. So to speak of going deeply and opening out the life and traveling deeply within. And there's a relationship. And the Buddha and the Dharma teachings have expressed and acknowledged this relationship in, in many times, in many occasions there. But still, 
in the movement that goes within, so to speak, the movement that goes without and sometimes the marriage of the two, uh, a great number of friends who uh, are people who are on the road, perpetually living uh, uh, on the road. They have kept faith and with the spirit of that, the, such friends have gone through extraordinarily difficult times of, of doubt and said to me, you know, Christopher, you know, perhaps I should settle down, perhaps I should really you know, get a job. It's no use driving a taxi two or three months in the year to get a bit of money together to go back to the east or, and all the multiple faces of this. And I, and I say to them and many, many others, look, if you're having that way of life and you've been living that way of life, days, weeks, months, years, please, please keep faith with it. We need homeless spiritual people. We need wanderers on this earth. We need people who have no roots, no place, no location, no fixation about anything and to have trust in that way of life. And they need our support and I hope that nobody here who sees that in friends and family and loved ones and in strangers is trying to persuade them otherwise. Let people have the freedom of the earth. So as I say, speaking outwardly there, but in a rather similar and, a, and perhaps a rather parallel way, that freedom to explore inwardly as well. And there are as many voices which will try, as you know, to stop you from doing that who will be very um, vicious in some cases who, to people who come to facilities and centers like IMS, who will undermine, put down, um, uh, negate, ridicule, poke fun at people's right to make that inner journey into their existence and to explore that. And I would say to anyone in such circumstances, whatever they may be, whether it's you're in a particular job where you're getting uh, ridiculed or whether you're in a relationship and you're, or you're married or, what, or whatever, if the way of life is the outer forces are undermining and condemning and cynical about all of these things, then I say, as I, I mentioned to one person in a small group today, if necessary, it's, if it's unacceptable, walk out. Leave it. No marriage on earth is that important. There are far more important things in life than stick staying in a stuck relationship, stuck marriage, where the other person is expressing cynicism all the time. Leave, go, and brush the dust off one's feet, as the <laughs> pastor said. So, in all of that, that right and that freedom, very lovely, wonderful freedom to look and to explore and to look uh, carefully into these things, then one says, yes, okay, Christopher, I sense or I see or I know or experience some degree what you're speaking of in terms of outer freedom to keep the doors open in life and the, the beauty of that and the uh, significance of that. And... Also, exactly the same right in another kind of direction to look inwardly and to go inwardly into one's life. And sometimes, as one person was saying today and others have uh, said as well, sometimes one reaches in looking into this thing of living, this experience of living, extraordinary things going on uh, with one's way of seeing existence, and I just want to uh, address uh, that for a moment or two. And what I mean, mean by that is that, just as I said before, one can be in a certain kind of environment, and it touches and affects one in particular ways. We move into another environment, which therefore all things are environmental in that respect, that we, in another one, and it affects us in uh, other ways. And sometimes it's pleasurable and painful. Sometimes the same locality is pleasurable and painful as we know well. And in that, it seems like our heart and mind is almost able to exist or to live in almost two worlds. Almost two worlds. And some of you have experienced and do experience the contrast of 
being in one world called a retreat and another world called uh, work or the arts or whatever it might, might be. And we sometimes say to ourselves, naturally enough, what I want to do is to try to bridge these two worlds. I want to take, as it were, from one world, might call it the retreat world, um, what I see, uh, the clarities that come to me, or the awarenesses that come. I want to bring all of that, what I see so clearly here, I'm aware of, into the world which I have come from. I wish to take from here and take elsewhere. Heart and mind, in a thoughtful way, is still engaged in movement. The very movement to take whatever from one place to another will produce thought of success and failure. The very notion of going from A to B, carrying from one to the other, will manufacture thought of success and failure. It's an, an unavoidable feature of the mind which carries. You say, but that's what I come here for. I come here to get clearer so that I can take from here something to somewhere else, therefore I can work more effectively or clearly or more harmoniously in other situations. Therefore, the movement is still going on. And with the movement, there is the relationship to it, and the relationship is to me and my movement. To me and my movement. And one says to oneself, well, what I do or where I go, yes, yes, it affects me. Yes, some person said, it matters to me. Something's not being seen somewhere. The me is taking, the me is experiencing, the me is wanting to carry over, and one is saying, essentially, then it will affect me afterwards, I hope in a beneficial way, or for some people, the retreats raise such questions as they are intended to do, that for some people, the whole way of living of one's life suddenly is not so substantial as it was. Therefore, these kind of environments can be extraordinarily challenging, both within the context and afterwards. And the me still acts as a movement, as a feature from A to B, whether it's outward or inward, whether it's from here to there. Is that what we're concerned with. Is all of that, in a way, some subtle, understandable expression of extremism? Because extremism belongs to the self. It's the feature of ego. It's the feature of I. It belongs to I, it belongs to self. I am here, I go there, and it, all that movement matters not in the nature of things, it only matters to I, to me, and it's therefore it's the extreme. So one says, one looks at all of this and looks into all this and says, oh my God, oh my, there is one, oh my God, oh my God. If I think of my life as going from A to B, even with the most noble views about it, if I, if I think that my life has a real <coughs> direction to it, A to B, the very thought, the very movement is got the self, the I, the me, in every moment of that movement, a better eye, a more successful eye, a calmer eye, a clearer eye, a wise eye, there's a movement going on. That movement, as I said, can be outer, it can be inner, it can be from here to there, it's still a movement, an eye is involved in every stage and aspect of that movement. And one says, oh my God, because if I go here, go there, the eye is carried. And if I don't 
I'm stuck. If I don't go, if I don't move, if I don't change, if I don't get somewhere, if I don't take something, if I don't carry something, then I'm stuck. And one is in the perennial spiritual paradox of life. Going somewhere is going nowhere. And not going somewhere is being stuck. What is this paradox of existence? What is this which I can't get my mind around? I can't understand this. I can't break the nut of this kernel. I can't fathom out. Going is going nowhere. Staying is being stuck. Both are unsatisfactory from beginning through to the end. Therefore, therefore, teachings are the eternal pointer to that therefore. Know and realize that therefore so well that one is free. Free, free at last because one is free from all of that belief system. One can say from the deepest place in one's whole being, there is no direction in life. And one can say from the depths of one's being that one isn't stuck. Not going anywhere, nor being anywhere, one is free. And therefore the world of time and space, all of that, it's lost its mythology, lost its human agreement, lost its uh, reality. And the teachings of the Dharma point to this, therefore, again and again and again, unshakably pointing to this. And in that, we've in fact paid the greatest respect to the truth of life. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live in an enlightened way. May all beings be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.